You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Thomas Frank. He's a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. He's the author of the books What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew, How Conservatives Rule. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. You got it, Rick. Well, it looks like all that glitters is not gold. <laughs> and it's also, it's kind of, we're, we're going to rewind back, what, let's see, from 1933 to 2010. Is that like uh, 73 years? Jeez. Uh uh, my, my wait, wait, I'm math challenged. You know, I, I believe that you're getting close to 80 years. Yeah, there. 77 years. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, 77 years. Uh, so let's let's talk about this uh, effort to bring back uh, Glass-Steagall uh, first. That was a really interesting article. And I think this is something that um, uh, six months ago, this seemed like a slam dunk, didn't it? It, it did, but that's, that's not... Uh, it's, that's not that. Well, that's that's the background of why I wrote it because this is something that we that we need to be debating. Glass Steagall was the nation's main bank regulatory law, and it didn't set up a. I mean, uh, the main thrust of it was not to set up a regulatory agency to supervise banks, although it did that. The the, the main idea was to break banking uh, in two by law. So to, to and it broke up the big banks of the day. They all had to split their operations into two. Uh, so that's why there's uh, J.P. Morgan was a commercial bank, and uh, uh, Morgan Stanley uh, was a uh, was an investment bank. But they had originally been back before Glass-Steagall; they had been the same uh, company. Mm-hmm. So what Glass-Steagall did is it separated commercial banking, you know, uh, banking as a utility, boring banking, uh, where you know you you have your 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 savings account, your checking account, and you do all the financial things that you do through through a bank. That was one operation, and then um, uh, uh, investment banking was uh, legally separated from that. It, they couldn't; a co- one company couldn't do both. So, mm-hmm. investment banking would be, you know, uh, obviously what what uh, uh, Wall Street does <laughs> or did, you know, <laughs> before it all <laughs> fell apart for them, um, and that got repealed. Uh, in well, for good in 1999, but it got repealed in a slow motion kind of way. Beginning in the 1980s, the Reagan administration started attacking it, and uh, the bank industry always hated this this uh, this law. It was passed over there, strong strong objections in 1933. I mean, well, they were they were deeply despised in 1933, mm. and uh, uh, they fought it and fought it and fought it and finally uh, did away with it. Uh, uh, in, in 1999, um, with the help of President Clinton, who signed the bill, uh, and Robert Rubin, who pushed it along, and uh, Larry Summers, who was the Treasury Secretary at the time. And uh, the bill was uh, especially pushed by uh, Citibank. Interesting uh, fact, if you go back, Citibank was you know growing and growing and growing, and they were challenging Glass-Steagall all the time. You know, they're saying, Okay, look what we did now. We merged with another company. What are you going to do to us? You're going to make us. You're going to break us up. You're going to make us divest ourselves of this company, and you know, challenging the law. And then, uh, and then kind finally, of chicken. yeah, that's right, playing a game of chicken with the uh, with the with the with the Federal Reserve, who are supposed to enforce it. And um, 
finally at the end of the day the federal reserve is like okay we give you know let's do away with this thing and you can do whatever you want you can own insurance companies you can issue subprime mortgages you can you know you can have a payday loan shop you can you know and citibank also these days or up until quite recently ran a uh uh, a, a commodities. They had a commodities outfit that accounted for a lot of their profits, but was doing extremely risky trading. Mm-hmm. You know, something that would have been explicitly forbidden by the, the Glass-Steagall Act. Um, anyhow, so the, when if you go back and, and when I remember the day Glass-Steagall was repealed, because I was working on a book at the time called One Market Under God, and it was the sort of high point of new economy euphoria. It's, you know, we had turned this historical corner. This is what everybody was saying. We turned this historical corner. The old rules no longer applied. We understood markets now, and we knew that we, we now understood that we didn't need these old regulatory regimes like Glass-Steagall, and we could just toss that out because, you know, we were, we were so much more enlightened now than people were in the 1930s. Mm. And I am not exaggerating. <laughs> uh, and so I was right about I thought, you know, this is the moment when everybody's talking about bringing back, or a lot of people are talking about bringing back Glass-Steagall. Let's go back and revisit that debate when, from 1999 when we threw it out. And it's, very, it's, almost, it's kind of embarrassing to do that, <laughs> to go back and read those articles from 1999, because mm-hmm. it's so... The, the logic by which we threw Glass-Steagall out was so filled with this new economy rhetoric, this absurd, I mean, patently absurd talk about... You know that 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 we understood markets now better than they did in the 1930s, and everything was was so you know advanced and light speed and uh, uh, you know and and weightless. You know, remember all those buzzwords from the 1990s? It, mm. it was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he, Clinton himself even referred to this stuff when signing the bill. And so, <laughs> uh, and so my argument was to sort of turn the tables on the the people who are against. Uh, this old bank regulation that you know they always say, "Oh, it's so antiquated, it's so antique," you know. But in fact, it's the logic that undid that bank regulation. That's the real antique. Mm. You know, that's the stuff that comes. From, I mean, it's very easy to understand the 1930s nowadays. If you go back and read about the you know the financial problems of the early 1930s, my God, we're living through the same thing. Mm-hmm. But to go back and read what they were saying in 1999, you know, when the, one of the biggest bestsellers was Dow 36,000, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, Wired magazine was calling for the deregulation of everything. Uh, that was a crazy time. Mm. That's that's the one that's much harder to understand. Well, it strikes me too that um, one of the things you say is that we're seeing the exact same arguments against it that that we saw before. Like you know, it's going. It would be like going back to the Walkman. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. The, the anonymous Treasury official said that to some reporter from the Washington Post. That it's that it, yeah, that Glass Steagall is an antique. You know that it's a uh, you know it's a depression era uh, rule and uh, well well the, the the fact of the matter is that you couldn't uh, just revive it in its original language you'd have to write it in a way that made sense for today but the principle is uh, the principle uh, which is separating you know utility banking from risky banking oh my God that's obvious look at well, look what's just happened you know bailing out banks that are too big to fail if you you know and those by the way, those institutions now, from Citibank to uh, Goldman Sachs, are still doing what they've... I mean, we haven't stopped them. We haven't broken them up. Uh, we haven't re-regulated them. So they are, they're doing the same things that they were doing that led to this disaster, which is to say they're 
effectively, in a lot of their operations, they're acting like hedge funds. Mm. They're just taking really, really, really risky bets, you know, highly leveraged risky bets uh, to make a profit, uh, you know, because that's how uh, investment banks make a profit. And you and I and all of your listeners, Rick, are guaranteeing them because they're, they've been designated too big to fail. And that's a, that is a really uh, awful situation to be in and they've got to, to, to fix this problem right away I mean the, you know the, you you can't allow a situation like that to continue and uh, bringing back some version of Glass-Steagall is one way of doing it by the way did I, did I mention who is sponsoring the new version of Glass-Steagall it's very interesting is that um, Maria Cantwell and John McCain John McCain that's kind how of about scary. that I mean yeah. back during the campaign in 2008 when John McCain was running for president I made I among many other people made fun of him for ha- his fi- chief financial advisor was uh, Phil Graham, the <laughs> former U.S. senator whose name is on. He was the main sponsor of the bill that overturned Glass Steagall, right in 1999. Yeah. That was Phil Graham's doing. John McCain's, you know, financial advi- or whatever you call it, in, uh, advisor on economic matters, and McCain himself said, you know, I'm very pro deregulation. Well, he has evidently turned some kind of a corner in his own life and uh you know i always i always kind of liked him uh you know among republicans mm-hmm. if i had to choose a republican he was always one of the, the the one that i would that i would go with but this is very interesting he is outflanking the obama administration on the left that's an, that, isn't that fascinating these are very strange political times <laughs> yes they certainly are they certainly are John McCain is, you know, is calling for a, a bringing back this important element of the New Deal, and the Obama administration is saying, "No way, no way, we won't, we won't go that far." It's a strange time we're living in. Now, one of the things you point out in your latest column uh, is the incredible amount of gold that the United States government is in possession of, and you offer a very simple way for us to make a bunch of money, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I should say before we start talking about this the, this, this article, uh, uh, which I wrote yesterday, by the way, but, uh, that this was tongue-in-cheek. This, mm-hmm. the, the, this article was, was meant... Yeah, as as a bit of humor. Well, you uh, know, in these days, uh, you have to realize that stuff like this gets taken very seriously. And there are, there's probably <laughs> know, somebody out there I, right I now who's proposing to distance that. myself from it in the article. <laughs> uh, you know, these are things that I would never actually suggest. There are things that I that 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 the Obama administration or another administration might do if they were to adopt a really mercenary outlook mm, mm-hmm. on the world. And this is, by the way, a, a mercenary outlook that I would say, you know, that the Bush administration did adopt mm-hmm. and that uh, a lot of Republicans in Congress in the old days, in the Tom DeLay days, did adopt. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, they would always say, and in fact, you hear this from Republican candidates for everything from, you know, city council to the United States president, Republicans often say government should be run like a business. Yeah, And this is what my book, The Wrecking Crew, was about. It's about what an incredibly poor idea that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, what no. a disastrous idea that is, because, I, you know, so many of the disasters of the Bush years can be traced back to this idea of running government like a business. So I said, as a kind of counterfactual, you know, kind of rainy day history thing, what would happen if the Obama people looked out at the world now and said, yeah, let's run government like a business. Let's try to make a profit. Let's, uh, you know, let's get rid of our, uh, our, let's get the debt off of our balance sheet and let's, let's turn a profit. Well, the first thing they do, and they do it in a heartbeat, 
is start dumping the gold. The U.S. government has an enormous quantity of gold, and but they value it with this ridiculous. Uh, they value it at the price it was in 1973. Really? Yes. They value it at $42 an ounce when, in fact, you can go online today. It's trading at uh, $1,100 an ounce. Jeez. So <laughs> if, the, if you actually valued it at its spot market value, the value that, that it's being traded at right now out in the world, uh, their, their stash of gold amounts to about $300 billion. This is why everybody's after grandma's gold teeth. <laughs> Uh, I don't ask me why I follow the gold market. It's it, the gold market fascinates me, though. It's 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 a it's a fascinating thing because it's not only you know it, it's a, you know it's a commodity, but it's a, it's a commodity that doesn't really have an industrial use, whereas mm-hmm. all the other commodities do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're either agricultural things or they're metals that you use in industry or they're oil. You know, something that's that's very useful. Gold is not useful. No. It just sits there. And uh, uh, and yet it has this you know this this whole aura uh, around it aura like a u like gold right mm-hmm. and <laughs> see I'm way too deep in this stuff Rick but uh, the, the, anyhow so so I'm saying well what would the Obama people do if they thought this way well they'd sell the gold and then uh, and then I imagined what a you know a, a, a typical reader would say it's like well that's that's stupid because if they tried that of course. As soon as they, as soon as they even announced it, it, it would, it would, it would flatten the price of gold. It would, you know, drop a bomb on the price of gold. It would destroy it. And so then I thought about that a little bit, and 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 you know what? That would have its upside too mm-hmm. if you thought about government as a as a business. Do you remember the K Street project, Rick? Oh yeah, yeah. This Defund was um, the left. Grover Norquist's big idea. Yeah, the, the, it was all about uh, uh, the the idea was to defund the left, to defund the Democratic Party. And they came up with the K Street Project was just one of many tools and weapons that the conservatives over the years invented to uh, damage their partisan op- opponents, the Democrats. And uh, the Demo- you know, and I've always thought, well, that's that stuff is simply, it's you know, it's, the Democrats should not do something like that in kind when they get back in. That sort of politics should just be beneath anyone. You just should never behave that way. Mm-hmm. But if you were to think of government in the same way that that the conservatives do and think of it as, as a business that you're running, um, you would do it. Mm-hmm. You would use uh, the you know, national policy to damage your partisan opponents. And have you ever thought about, what, okay, let's say you did crash the price of gold, what that would do to the American right? The kind of people, I don't know if you're familiar with the kind of people who invest in gold. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they are called <laughs> gold bugs. And the, it's, it takes a certain worldview to buy gold. And that worldview uh, basically is made up of believing that the end is near, mm-hmm. that the government is going to default on its debt, that hyperinflation is just around the corner. I don't know if you ever watched the Glenn Beck program, but these are all the, the sort of things that he talks about on the air, all the catastrophes that are coming. Uh, these are all things that, that gold bugs typically believe. You're talking to a guy who read Black Helicopters Over America. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> An so interesting you know book. Yeah. Maybe you're a gold investor yourself. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. I just think it's a, a fascinating mindset. Um, it is, but what's really creepy, and this is going to weird you out, Rick, mm-hmm. is that this mindset is now very uh, commonplace. Mm-hmm. It's all over the place. Uh, and that's why gold is at the enormous, at the, at the huge, you know, all-time uh, uh, high that it's at right now because so many hedge fund managers 
and investors have come to agree with the gold bugs about this stuff, that yes, the end is near. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what I said in the article is if the Obama people started selling this stuff, they would, you know, the end would be near all right, but it would be for the, for the gold investors. <laughs> I mean, the end, you know, it would, it would just, you know, ruin these people. It would, and, and it would have this. It would have this political effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have this political effect of defunding the right. Now, of course, I would never suggest that they should do that. I don't think they should do that. That would be catastrophic for the country in all sorts of different ways, and a really, really, really evil thing to do. <laughs> Set a terrible <laughs> precedent. So they should not do it. But it, you know, it was, it was it was my rainy day column. Well, th- you must remember, we live in a world that uh, gives or- George Orwell and uh, Jonathan Swift a run for their money. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, these modest proposals you make, uh, you know, today's modest proposal is tomorrow's uh, boi- legal boilerplate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope not. Let's, Let's hope, hope not, not, Rick. <laughs> I've been speaking with Thomas Frank. He's the author of What's the Matter with Kansas and The Wrecking Crew, How Conservatives Rule, and the appropriately... Um, titled One Market Under God, and a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. Thank you for joining me, Thomas. You got it, Rick. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report, featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.